Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Simon Fraser, who's an Associate Professor of Public Health at the School of Primary Care at the University of Southampton. Now, the paper is Persistently Normal Blood Tests in Patients Taking Methotrexate for Rheumatoid Arthritis or Azathioprine for Inflammatory Bowel Disease, a Retrospective Cohort Study. I will come back to that in just a moment, but the first thing I wanted to do before we get onto that is to tell you a little bit about a research study we're conducting ourselves at the BJGP, and it's all about optimising primary care research dissemination. Now, we've got two members of the editorial team, Dr. Christopher Wilcox and Dr. Felicity Knights. And what we're keen to do is to find out how often practicing GPs and GP trainees access primary care research in any form, and in particular, how we could improve its dissemination. Very much interested in the views of those who don't access research regularly, as well as those who do. And you can help just by completing a very short online survey. Shouldn't take any more than five minutes to complete. Now, you can find the survey. I'll put, it the, I'll put a link in the show notes. The survey's there and all the various research participant information that you require as well, including contact details of our editorial fellows if you've got any queries or require any further information. Okay, back to this study about persistently normal blood tests and my conversation with Simon Fraser. Now, we know the importance of monitoring people on disease-monifying drugs and shared care is well-established between primary and secondary care. I started by asking Simon to tell us a little bit more about the background evidence for what we know on monitoring in these groups of people. The conventional synthetic DMARDs, such as methotrexate and azathioprine, you know, they're commonly used in um, inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid and inflammatory bowel disease. And they're they're really important drugs. It can be life-changing for patients. Um, And nice uh, recommends through its sort of clinical knowledge summaries that that we test uh, every three months once uh, you know the drugs are well established and there have in the past been important safety concerns so um, you know particularly around liver liver function bone marrow toxicity and so on um, and and there is some evidence that um, you know if people are on something like methotrexate for quite a long time they may they may have um, you know, worsening liver function and leading to, to liver fibrosis and, and so on. And that's obviously the main concern, but also concern about uh, suppression of, of bone marrow. Um, but I think the, the important thing here and what led us to, to do what we did was that uh, regular blood test monitoring has been linked to some degree of depression and anxiety for some patients having to repeatedly do this. Um, we know that it's quite a workload for practices and clinicians and laboratory staff and, and administrators and so on. And it also incurs, uh, you know, some substantial cost for, for, for the NHS. And anecdotally, if you talk to clinicians, there's evidence or suspicion that the bloods are often normal and we're doing a lot of monitoring and not seeing many abnormalities. So I think that's the, that's the background. That's the sort of area we were exploring. Yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge the fact that this monitoring is not, it's not cost-free, is it? As you've explained there, that, you know, it's interesting to think about the anxiety and depression that that might cause and people have got to keep attending services. And uh, and as you mentioned, there's obviously an economic cost and just a workload burden when primary care is already full on. Actually, finding any opportunities to reduce that would be welcome. So um, tell us a little bit more about what you did in this study. We were using data from uh, this facility called the Care and Health Information Exchange, 
um, which draws together data from a large number of practices across uh, Hampshire and um, the Isle of Wight. And we were, we were looking at data from 85 practices. Um, and importantly, we, we looked at practices where we knew that um, people were, practices were sending their uh, pathology to uh, two specific hospitals. And we had pathology results from the hospitals and from general practice. So we had all of the pathology results. And we were looking at data pre-pandemic, so between 2017 and 2019. And we got a cohort of about 700,000 people, um, all adults. And uh, of those, we had about just over 7,000 people with uh, a record of rheumatoid arthritis and 8,500 people with a record of inflammatory bowel disease. And we, we followed them over, over two years, sort of retrospectively. And um, of the uh, people with rheumatoid, about 3,000 people uh, were taking methotrexate at some point, and about 1,100 of the inflammatory bowel disease group were taking um, azathioprine. And what we did, we looked at the NICE recommended blood tests, and we looked at all of the blood results for these people over those two years, and we saw which people were getting normal blood tests. In other words, we were particularly interested in normality. We were interested in abnormality, but also, but obviously lots of things can cause abnormalities of things like liver function. And you have to do some very complex analyses of all the confounders. Um, but we thought if we looked at people who had completely normal results, that would be that would be quite interesting. And so that's that's what we did. And we looked at the factors associated with blood test normality. So a very um very healthy cohort, lots of people, obviously based in that this one area in the south of England. But um, certainly, big numbers. You should tell us a little bit about what you found. Then, how many were how many were normal? That's what we should yeah, in these in these two in the rheumatoid arthritis and the inflammatory bowel disease sides. The sort of top level results really were that just over fifty percent of people with rheumatoid arthritis who were taking methotrexate had completely more blood test results over the two year period. And similarly, in the inflammatory bowel disease group, it was about fifty six percent. Um, had completely normal blood results over the two years. Um, and I think that the other really important thing to draw out is that um, it was really quite age-dependent. So if you were less than 60, uh, more than 60% had no abnormal blood tests, um, compared to less than 30% among those aged over 80. So that's in the rheumatoid group. Um, and... So if you then, it, it, we then went on to look at what the abnormalities were, so in, in people who did have abnormalities, and the, the most common abnormalities were actually EGFRs, so renal function tests, and particularly in older people, people with chronic kidney disease, as you might expect, uh, with heart failure. Um, so, the, you know, we're not suggesting that, that those abnormalities of renal function are caused by methotrexate or by azathioprine, but they represent... Um, a sort of monitoring activity, if you like. You know, if you're looking at your results, it might flag up and you might think, oh, do I have to do something about this? Um, and that was really all going, most, mostly going on among the older people. Only about 7% of people had abnormalities of those blood tests I mentioned earlier. So the liver function tests, the white count neutrophils. Now, that's obviously an important minority where further investigation may be needed. And I don't want to um, you know, understate the importance of that, but it is a it is a relative minority. Yeah, interesting findings, um, and it's important that we talk we expand on that point a little bit, isn't it? About the implications of these findings, 
is, as you've started to suggest there, of course, 7% is a small number, but by no means are we suggesting that we shouldn't be doing these tests at this point in time. But, you know, it does, but there are certain the implications are around the further work that perhaps need to be done to establish who we should be doing these tests for. Yes, and, and I, I really agree with that point. I certainly don't want to overclaim from the findings of this study. I think it's really important to hear that we cannot say on the findings of this study, change all your monitoring schedules, change what NICE is saying, and so on. Um, in our in our multivariable analyses where we controlled for other things like age, sex, socioeconomic status, and so on, we found that um, those who were least likely to have normal blood tests were older um, people who had comorbidities like CKD, heart failure, and, and cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So the, the implication really is, could we be being a bit cleverer about this? Could we be stratifying our um, monitoring in a slightly more um, sort of clever way, really, to, to target those for whom it's important to monitor frequently, um, and possibly even more frequently than we currently do? We, we don't know that for definite. We don't know what the optimum frequency is, but but possibly um, reducing the monitoring for, for certain populations. So, so I think that's the first thing is about is about being more stratified in our monitoring. But I think there are important implications for research. And I think the research implications are firstly, we do need to know uh, probably in with, with sort of longer follow-up what about those important outcomes that I mentioned earlier about you know, longer-term liver, liver problems? Is it safe to uh, reduce the monitoring over the longer term? That's the first question. And the second thing, I think there's a big question about the acceptability. You know, if, I, if I'm a patient with rheumatoid, am I happy having been told that I, can, you know, I should monitor every three months? Now I'm being told I can monitor every six months. Am I happy with that? And similarly, our, our GPs, practice nurses, rheumatology nurse specialists are they are they happy with that reduced monitoring it's an important point isn't it because we talked about anxiety and depression at the start with monitoring but as you you say we we don't know what the effect of not monitoring would be in terms of anxiety and depression or concern as well around the fact that they're taking potentially toxic drugs and they feel like people aren't keeping an eye on things um and so important things that it's probably worth us just touching at the very end on the impact perhaps of covid you mentioned this in discussion a little and there has been some challenges in terms of routine monitoring with covid and um just how this how these results might feed into that a little yes i mean clearly the world has changed since we we started this study and it's um you know interesting that we looked at, at data from before the pandemic um but i think that the situation we're with now is that many practices may be facing a backlog of testing um, where people haven't had such good access to, to blood testing through the pandemic, people on these medications. Um, and so it may be that as, as practices emerge from the pandemic, there may be opportunities to use these findings to help sort of um, guide your kind of priorities a bit as you're retesting a population of people. Again, don't want to overclaim about that, but I, I, I know based on, on the findings of this study who I would be wanting to get tested first um, and, and perhaps being a little uh, less urgent about other, other groups if, uh, who hadn't been tested. One other thing that we did look at, which was around the sort of number of tests and the testing frequency. Um, and uh, so we looked at people who were on the drugs continuously across this two-year period to see whether people were, in fact, having their testing in every three-month period, as they might expect. And we found that, by and large, 
certainly in rheumatoid people are more sort of more than 60 percent were having that but there are there are people who are having less testing than that and there are people who are having more testing than that so that might be another implication that looking at um, perhaps who's having more testing and who's having who's having less testing and think about priorities that way uh, the findings are quite intuitive in terms of those you might prioritize that it tends to be older people with comorbidities so that's relatively easy to remember but um yeah really important findings I, I just said there i think I'll, I'll, I'll maybe round up by saying we don't want to overstate this we think these are important findings that can change feed into the research about how we manage this in the future but it's definitely not a um it's definitely not um, um it's not something we'd want some people to be going out and doing immediately on the basis of this in terms of overstating that's in terms of because there's important safety considerations still absolutely yeah i'd completely agree with that conclusion Simon, listen, that's been a tremendously useful um, summary there of your research. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.